1: Welcome to an emergency episode of the mini break podcast. It is Tuesday, March 22nd, Alex Gruskin here. Breaking news, and we talk about it all the time, this mini break, your source for all the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. This counts as all three, folks. It's a storyline. It's a result. It's kind of a controversy as well. World number one, Ashley Barty, coming off of an Australian Open title this season, a Wimbledon title last season. She's been number one in the world for the past three seasons. Again, 25 years old. She announces her retirement from the game, hanging up the racket, hanging up the shoes at age 25 years old. And of course, you can go to her Instagram to see about a six and a half minute video that we were playing on loop here before we began this show live on our Crack Rackets YouTube channel. Of course, we are so grateful for all of you tuning in this late again. This is breaking news, certainly. And Barty explained her reasons better than perhaps we could do so here. But look it's a world number one she's retiring feels like she was just beginning to scratch the surface uh of her prime and now we don't get to know what that prime looks like at least for now and joining me to help digest if it's even possible at this stage all of this information offer some instant reactions offer some thoughts not only on Barty but of course big picture word that we now go on the wta tour as a man who joins me Whenever we have breaking news, it feels like from the tennis world, I would point out he joined me for all of the Djokovic action in Australia as well. Joining me now again, you're our guy when we've got breaking news. It is my friend, tennis channel, tennis.com editorial producer, David Kane. David, that's why I called you co host when you joined us earlier this week and knew something like this was down the pipeline. That's a complete lie. But to have you here, obviously, you are a former WTA employee as well. You were there for the earliest stages i suppose of ashley Bardy's ascendance post i guess her first stepping away from the game earlier again there are so many details to hit as you all can tell my brain is a cluster f i'm not going to swear i would have but we're live hello david how are you how are you feeling
2: Alex, I'm only smiling because I'm just so happy to see you and me, <laughs> for for lack of a better term, seeing the the side by side. But it is true. When, about two or three months after I joined the WTA, we started getting in touch with Ash regarding the comeback. I mean, that this was, you know, a two and a half year break from the game, famously to play cricket, and then was working on a comeback in 2016. It didn't really start in earnest until 2017. She won the title uh, in Kuala Lumpur, and the the rest, as they say, is WTA history. So it is fascinating to be here on this. Uh, And this sort of surprising yet unsurprising development, maybe surprising as to when it happened, but based on all of the signals that Ash has been giving over over the years, I did not think a long career was really in the cards for her, but certainly made the most for the time that she spent.
1: Fair. Again, this is a monumental moment and we look for Ash Barty and a lot of you tuning in here on the emergency podcast. Certainly will already be aware of some of these facts, but perhaps some of our listeners will hear this the next morning. We're asleep when all this happened and they're just thinking, can you give me some more context on Barty? I know she won Australia. Well, what else has she done for Ashley Barty? Three-time Grand Slam champion. And perhaps what's most notable, you look over the last 52 weeks, she's 45 and six, David. 45 and six, she's winning 88% of her matches. This is not someone who's, you know, had a blip or, you know, excuse me, not a blip, a dip in her level, the way say Justine Ennin did at the start of the season before she announced her retirement. This is someone who is on the ascendance. This is someone who has held serve, you know, over 80% of the time, she's the only women's player in the game to do that. It's a new career high for her. She's breaking serve over 40% of the time. That's a new career high for her. And, you know, we talk about our superficial stats. She's top 15 in break percentage here in 2022 for the first time in her career amongst top 50 WTA players. I mean, let's even go back to the start of the 2019 season since January 7th, 2019, which was the first event she played of that year, David, she's 120. 21 and 24, 121 victories, 24 losses. That is an 83% win percentage. Of course, you look for Ashley Barty. She wins her first grand slam at that 2019 French open. She wins Wimbledon last year, 2022 Australian open. Of course, it's noticeable or notable that she did not play at all. During the 20, you know, post pandemic in 2020, she missed that French Open. She missed that U.S. Open. And yet with all the success she has had, not only at the slam level, the Masters, or excuse me, the 1000 level events, whatever Ashley Barty plays, she's in contention for the title of late. And obviously you even go prior to that, the double success that she's had in her career, 2018 U.S. Open doubles champion finalist at each of the three other slams as well. I think when we look at Ashley Barty's career, and it's funny, we're picking up our conversation where we left off Monday. There's no doubt she's a Hall of Famer. Like even on just this resume, I think you pretty clearly would put her in already. Because I think when you talk about this era of, you know, for me the Hall of Fame is if we're talking about an era of tennis, and we have to bring up your name, in my opinion, you belong in the Hall of Fame. When we're talking about this era of tennis, you know, twenty post immediate end in post Serena. One of the names you will always talk about is Ashley Barty. I guess let's start here. Like, is she a Hall of Famer with the career she's already put together?
2: Yes. I mean, I would say she, I would say to the extent that the Hall of Fame can be assured anyone, I would say she really locked up the requirements last summer when she won Wimbledon. At that point, she has won majors in singles. She's won majors in doubles. She backed up her, you know, sort of surprising run to the 2019 Roland Garros title, I'm sure in her wildest dreams, when she pictured herself hoisting her first Grand Slam trophy, I don't think she would have pictured it be in Paris on the clay. Um, And the fact that she was able to come full circle two years later and, and do as well as she did at Wimbledon really, I think, locked it up in the minds of many that she was, you know, the best player of this sort of post-Serena era, the sort of interregnum period. And the question I think we were starting to ask was whether this was an interregnum or whether this was the start of a new Ash Barty-themed era. And certainly after Australia, it seemed like we were leaning towards this was the era of Ash Barty just because of how far ahead she appeared to be of everybody else in the top 10. She was far and away the most consistent, just completely impenetrable on serve, off the ground, the questions were all framed in terms of what can be done to compete with Ash Barty, much less beat her. And that's what's a little bit disappointing about this news happening right now, is that I do think in the last couple of weeks, we've started to see sort of a, a, I think I use the word coagulation in the podcast of these sort of this, this group A, who could potentially be battling it out with Barty for the big titles. And and again, while I did think that, you know, this was probably coming, you know, based on the the, the news that she'd been engaged, things like, you know, quotes like Craig Tizer saying that she didn't he didn't picture her ever winning the U.S. Open, which seemed like a big hint that maybe she wouldn't be playing the U.S. Open yeah. again. I mean, but I did think that she well, would want to be back in Paris and I may, to defend.
1: I apologize for inter- interrupting you, but that's the other big question. That's what should have been the lead. Is this a surprise? Because we've seen, as you mentioned already, Ashley Barty has stepped away from the game before, and she was a highly touted junior who stepped away, A, to explore that rugby career, but B, because (laughs) I think she's been pretty open about it. I think she enjoys being a professional athlete. I think she enjoys the spoils that come with being very good at your sport. I don't know that she loves tennis. I don't know that she eat, lives, breathes, sleeps tennis. I think she is a professional and she gets her training in. I'm not to say that there's anything she does that she gives less of an effort than any other player. In fact, one of the hardest workers look at the physicality she brings, match in, match out. But I don't think she loves being a tennis player. Like I I really I so again, I and again, this is well, it's always and, difficult and,
2: to yeah, judge those and, things. And to interrupt you, I mean, I think when we say professional tennis player, that's a very loaded term. That doesn't yes. just mean going onto the court and playing your match. That means traveling 10 months out of the year. That means going to press conferences. That means And you emphasize 10
1: months of the year of travel. That was always something she was never a fan of.
2: And oddly, I think it's not a coincidence that she's had her most successful period of her career at a time when she was afforded the forgivable opportunity to stay home for large swaths out of the year. I mean, I, you know, notoriously she didn't play after the the lockdown in 2020. She skipped, you know, big chunks of 2021 and, and, and was not on the boards for Indian Wells in Miami. I mean, this was someone who really prioritized, you know, for better for, for better for worse, worse for fans, better for herself and her mental health and her well-being, prioritize being at home with her friends and family. And she was a player who for the last three years has been able to have the best of both worlds mm-hmm. and has really reaped the rewards of it, has in many ways achieved all of the top line items of a career. And you know, even to think, you know, is a comeback on the cards. I would, I would posit the question back to that person. For what? You know, this is someone who's really achieved every all of her wildest dreams. Has been number one. Has won multiple slams. Has an Olympic medal. I mean, this is somebody who is has no glaring holes in her resume. An assured Hall of Famer by by any metric. And so, yeah, in many ways, looking at her and looking at how she views the world, it's not a surprise that she chose to make twenty twenty two her last season. What's surprising to me is that perhaps it had happened now. I did think that she'd want to come back and defend her Wimbledon title. It seemed like something that was, you know, particularly emotional for her, a big opportunity to be back on center court. She's now the second player in a row to not be back to defend her Wimbledon title after Simona Halep missed it last year as well. So maybe I guess Simona will get the, uh, will get the nod on the schedule on, uh, I think it's day two. They let the defending champion on center. Um,
1: First of all, it'll be Raducanu. You can just lock that
2: in. It's Raducanu all day on the schedule. And when she's not on, she'll just be hitting balls into the crowd. Um, But yeah, I think it's, this is someone who has really, you know, personified work life balance over the years. And I think she finally at a point in her life where she wants to choose life over over all the work that comes into being a pro tennis player. She's someone who I think will find happiness at home. You know, she's about to get married. I think there's a lot awaiting for her in this next chapter in the, in the short term. And I think uh, I think that's probably why, she, you know, in the sort of the afterglow of winning Australia, she's made this decision to pull the ripcord on what yeah. has been you know, a scintillating career.
1: Yeah. And, you know, again, I'll have super producer Daniel Westoff will play the full clip at the end of this show. And maybe we'll have that full Instagram clip as well on the podcast as well. It's like six and a half minutes from Ashley Barty again, her being interviewed and explaining her decision to do this now. You know, I will be honest with all of you watching live, all of you podcast listeners this. uh, And, you know, again, uh, as we look on the screen, I do apologize. There's an H missing in Ashley Barty's name. Obviously, Super Producer Daniel Westhoff. I bring up the fact that we were mid-college tennis recap when this news broke. So, again, we are doing this as live as live can Ashley!
0: Yeah, (laughs) that's just how
1: you say it in slang. Um, But I do apologize for that fact. You know, Paul Lemon in the comments goes, "This news is beyond shocking." That was our reaction as well. This news was certainly uh, beyond shocking for us uh, during that podcast. We did like a little five minutes on. Wait, is it time to just sneak in five minutes on Barty here because of the success that she's had? Not and only, it, yeah. yeah. Sorry, go ahead.
2: And for it to even happen today, the day before exactly the Miami Open, days and I mean-
1: right before Miami begins, like it's just surprising.
2: I mean, there is a pretty barren week in the schedule, like leading up to Billie Jean King Cup, that if you were looking to make it sort of the news, I mean, it's in many ways it is sort of, you know, it's very on brand for Ash Party. She doesn't really want to be the number one news story. You know, she wanted to drop this news when she wanted to drop it. And, you know, the tennis world literally is going to go on without her tomorrow. And, um, yeah, it's, it's just it's a fascinating it's a fascinating development, I think, you know. Ash party stays winning, you know, for better or for worse.
1: Sure. And it's fair, fascinating, surprising. Do we see a second act? That's something I want to ask you as well, but before we move on to how this impacts the tour and obviously she wasn't going to be in Miami, but even just the psychological effect of knowing, Hey, the race for number one is now freaking on. um, You look in tennis's history and looking for some historic parallels. And I came up with a short list of names over the past, you know, 30 minutes, 45 minutes, whatever, between finding out the news and the starting of recording of this podcast. Some of the names that jumped out to me right away. I think the first big one was Bjorn Borg, who things were a little bit different. And, you know, some would argue that McEnroe had caught him by that point. And it looked
2: like- Alex, it's really way too late at night for you to start comparing Esparte to Bjorn Borg, but go on. (laughs) You like that one? Yeah, you like that one? Um, I mean, Bjorn Borg has how many French Open titles in a row? I mean- (laughs) But again, similar in age-
1: two people who were clearly at the top, if not the very top of the game when things ended and people who still had more slam titles left in them. Right. Like, I think we all agree, even if Bjorn Borg wasn't going to win nine consecutive French opens, he was probably going to win at least two more. Like, you know, you imagine he sneaks one out 27 and then maybe 29 or 30, like that would be part one, Uh, you know, part two, you know, some of the other names again, and in retiring as she was number one in the world that felt a little bit different because a, it felt like there were more names challenging her at the top of the game at the time. I, I, you probably remember this better than I do, but B, again, Barty's best tennis, in my opinion, was still ahead of her. Like I do feel like there was, if this, or maybe this is her best tennis, but she had more of it left in her. I think we had already seen Ennis best tennis when she retired. Now that's not to say she wasn't still very good at the time she did retire. But like, that's the other one I would point to. And Paul Lemon in the chat points out, and the only other player to retire as the world number one. I appreciate that little tidbit from him. You start to look at some of the other ones. Someone brought up Sampras to me in one of our private text conversations. Sampras was broken down. Like the eyebrows looked excellent. The knees, a little less so. And so like, I'm not sure that that's a fair comp there. Another one to me. And this is obviously such drastically different circumstances. I got two more for you, I promise. Okay. <laughs> uh, drastically different circumstances, but I don't think completely like Monica Sellis was not even close to the top of her game, oh, but she God. was certainly on the rise. And obviously, so different the circumstances, right? But to to have her removed from the game suddenly and surprisingly, uh, while she's at the peak of her powers, again, it's not a direct comparison because Monica Sellis eat bread, leave sleep, everything tennis. Yeah, like, and
2: Monica loved tennis. And Monica loved every part of the tennis world. T- exactly. Yeah, being a tennis she star. She wanted to be oh. a tennis
1: player, not a pro Oh, this is the most she
2: emotional is. I'm getting, thinking about yeah. Monica Sellis during the Sash party Retirement too. Podcast.
1: Oh. Yeah, to do that to you at 11.30, Ooh, that's just rude of me. I apologize, I got to hear the last friend. one before I go yeah. in. And then the last one is like, and she came back and it was due to pregnancy and it's so different. But like Kim Kleister's, sort of, like sort of when she- retire or stepped away from the game the first time, like kind of to me, those were the only ones that jumped out. Do any of them seem like good fits to you?
2: Well, I mean, you're thinking of like players who made, I guess, surprising retirement announcements or were suddenly sure. taken out of the game. I think, I mean, yeah. for Joachim me-
1: Johansson.
2: <laughs> <Pim-pim>, <laughs> I would say, I mean, the person who narratively has always been the most similar to me before Ash Barty would be, you know, peak Martina Hingis in the late nineties. This was someone who was- far and away the best player in the game in the late 90s between 97 and 99 was significantly you know smarter clutch had some physical limitations wasn't the tallest player wasn't necessarily the most powerful player but just really maximized her game at a time and to when
1: and add to that Celis you look at uh, Celis, excuse me Hingis you look at all the records for people before the age of 22 23 years old Celis is on a tier by herself and it's not yeah. particularly close the thing is, Hingis is on a tier after her, on her own, by herself, and it laps Serena, it laps Sharapova, it laps Enin, it laps Venus. Anyone you think of, that's how good Hingis was her first five years on tour.
2: Yeah, and but was at the same time competing against… Yes underdeveloped talent who were coming up right behind her. Your Venus, Serena, Lindsay, Jennifer Capriati coming back from her, um, you know, from her trials and tribulations. I mean, there was a lot of players who were just not at the peak of their powers and really became into their own at the start of the 2000s, the Belgians, you know, Kim and Justine, it just really, the power creep overtook her in such a massive way And so that was what had always been my struggle with Barty. You know, you talk about her best tennis being ahead of her or how much of her best tennis was ahead of her. I wondered how much or for how long she would either want to or be able to compete with those behind her as they started to get their collective acts together. I mean, to your point, I don't think that was we're getting close, but I don't think that's really in danger of happening in the next two months, if she'd played Wimbledon, I would have put her as my number one favorite to win Wimbledon. I would have even, depending on how the clay court seasons shook out, you know, made her my, you know, my number one or number two pick to win Roland Garros. So I think there was certainly a lot ahead of her, at least this year, but I think this is someone who has, you know, is competing at a time that was, it's the weirdest time in tennis history. And that's a lot to do with what's happening in the world right now. So I think there is that conversation to be had at the same time just like Hingis, I would never fault Ash for maxing out on that to the fullest extent of her abilities. I mean, I think that's part of maybe what drove the decision to retire. I mean, how can you top winning your home slam as emphatically, decisively as she did to be the world number one in your home country? Everyone tunes in to watch you. I mean- yeah, what was it, it's an Olympic moment, or something
1: crazy? Like 14 million tune yeah, in? Yeah, something
2: like 25% of the country yeah. tuned every, maybe something even more, which I thought was funny when people were talking about those numbers. Cause like, well, we'll all be asleep the other nine months of the year. But yeah. Yes, that's, I'm glad they all, I'm glad they all got up to watch Ash uh, beat Daniel Collins in the final. But I mean, it was just, it was a magical Olympic moment. And for somebody who has looked to, I think, do as much as she could in, without having to really make a lot of sacrifices. And I think also, you know, Geographically, she was always going to be at a disadvantage because she's a homebody from Australia. I mean, if you're a homebody from Bradenton, you know, it's real easy to, you know, come home and train and kind of be in your bubble. But when you're coming from Australia, in the best of times, it's difficult. And that's not even factoring in, you know, travel restrictions. We saw Darren Cahill have really some some big issues with having to, you know, do those, those two week quarantines on both ends. I mean, this has been some brutal stuff mentally on someone who is already not crazy about the grueling life on tour so i mean i think this seems like the best decision for her could she have made the decision in six months you know and be one wimbledon title richer maybe but i mean i think for her i think she's hedging her bets and she's she is going in on top like sampras that is where i see the sampras comparison that's probably the closest where i could see maybe even flavia panetta is someone who like you know won the us open and said i'm i'm done (laughs) you know I, i It would have been surprising if she had, I probably would have been less surprised if she made the announcement on court on Rod Laver Arena that like, listen, I'm out. You know, this is the best way I want to, I want to step away from the game. But, you know, she's always been about doing things differently. You
1: have broken my brain and I was debating whether to sneak in an extra 30 minutes on the bike here tonight. And I was like, no, I'm tired. We've done this extra bonus pod. You've done your hard work. You deserve to go to bed. I will be spending 30 minutes tonight comparing Hingis to Barty. You have broken my brain for the second consecutive podcast. I am so jealous of that. Like, I'm so jealous of that take. I'm so angry with myself. I got a Hingis thinking.
2: poster in my bedroom. Yeah, <laughs> um, just
1: like, again, it's it's the good sort of competition between us in terms of that take. I am so jealous. I'm like, Alex, be better. That's a take you should have had at the tip of your tongue. Um, see, I like the Borg one because of the age and just like how good they are relative to the field right now.
2: I just want it's to also just, a, But
1: what was left on the table, I apologize. It's like U.S. Open this year. So again, it's the two low-hanging fruits that you just, I just feel like, I, and this maybe tells you my passion for the game, if I was Ashley Barty, which you can't even, you can't do those sorts of exercises because you say, well, if I'm Ashley Barty now and you don't take the previous 25 years of baggage that come with being Ashley Barty in assessing this one decision, but you're like, I get to defend my Wimbledon title on center court, which, sorry, everyone else, it is the most prestigious title in tennis. Like, no ifs, ands, or buts about it. I can go for the career Grand Slam in New York, where I will be the favorite. And, like, you know, again, I lose to Shelby Rogers last year. I would like to make amends for that one. That's the one slam I've got left on the table. Then I've, then on the career slam, then I've done it all, like, Maybe I can pop in in three years for an Olympics because it's not that far removed. And I can just be like, yeah, you know what? I'm going to give it one more go. That's the other thing is like, do we see Barty in two to three years? I'm curious your thoughts on that. If she's at 28 years old, would be like, you know what? I think I do still have two to three years left in me because certainly from a physical standpoint, we would argue she does right now, but that's the thing. It's like, so again, with that eye on the return, it's just, there are a few things left that I think, could be motivating enough to bring anyone back on the court.
2: And we certainly saw a rash of players making comebacks. And I think that has started to peter off. The Kleister's comeback think, is still happening. Well, I think that's the Kleister's comeback may be part of why we're not seeing as many comebacks. <laughs> I mean, it certainly is not, you know, it's not one of those things where, look, she could do it. You know, everybody's, yeah, everybody's fair. doing it. I think to be, To be fair, yes, she's still very young. I think that is the main reason why you would potentially argue for an Ash Barty comeback. But I think looking at the overall narrative and arc and story of her career, hers has been one of how much do I really want to do this? And I think she did come back because she felt she had something to say as a tennis player. And she certainly said a lot (laughs) in the last couple of years. And so I don't know if... You know, she seems like the kind of person who, once she's made these decisions. Uh, I, having said that, she made the decision to step away and then made the decision to step back. So she she could change. A lady can change her mind. But all that said, I feel like, you know, depending on how life shakes out for her, I think she's someone who can find happiness off court. I think, you know, you look at even like a Casey DeLacqua. I mean, she's got some really good role models for people who have you know, made the transition off tour and have become, you know, this is someone who could, I was just talking to Phil Fama about this with another player. I mean, this is someone who could potentially, you know, transition into a media career. This is someone who could be a coach, you know, where, what is Ash Barty passionate about? And I think that's what we're really going to find out in the next couple of months and years, because I, to your point, I don't know if she was necessarily passionate about all that comes with being a professional tennis player. And so it'll be interesting to see what she decides to do from here on out. She's certainly young, talented, rich, (laughs) you know, the sky is really the limit for her. She can invest in a startup and make a lot of money. I mean, there's really, everything is on the table for her, but I think in terms of her career, there's nothing on her resume where I would think she could she's dying to come back to, to do this one X particular thing. Whereas I think other players, perhaps, you know, even like go back to Hingis, I think Hingis really did feel like she was still in the prime and maybe wanted to win that one more slam to prove that she could compete with that generation of players. But I don't know if that's the same situation for Barty. A couple of things off of that.
1: Um, A. A. Ashley Barty, I need you one Thursday a month on a daily show called the Mini Break Podcast. One Thursday a month, that's all I'm asking for. You can even do it bi-monthly,
2: tri-monthly. Once It's on year. the WTA contract when you retire that you have to be a, a crack rackets. Exactly. We, <laughs> Rack we got for room
1: for you. Um, you know, you talk about the wealth aspect. That's the other thing. She's definitely, extraordinary. you know, again, she'll be comfortable for the rest of her life. Is she passing up generational wealth? Like, is she gonna miss out on anything or has she become famous enough in her circle and where she was going to be to where those lucrative, you know, deals will still be available for her.
2: Oh, I would say, I mean, just to, again, to our point about her, the TV ratings, I would imagine she is something of a national hero now. And like, I think that and, that's and going I, this to... is
1: such typecasting, whatever the Vegemite cereal equivalent is, maybe it's just straight up Lucky Charms in Australia. Like why? Or, you know, again, the Kellogg's equivalent, just put her face on that box, right? Like that already happened.
2: I mean, if McEnroe is as as American as apple pie, Barty is as Aussie as Vegemite. I think that's part of why I'm like mentally bumping on the the Borg comparison, because I think Borg was so iconic. And I think that's the one thing about Ash Barty who, great, you know, maximized her career. I don't know if she is that sort of, you know, world shaking, you know, unforgettable champion in the way that a Bjorn Borg was. I mean, and that's a, that's a steep order to, you know, and obviously Borg has the advantage of being, you know, one of the first big stars to ever play the game, I think. But I think that's also the sort of the charm of Ash Barty. She was that workmanlike player who worked, she loved to work. She liked to compete. And I think she did both of those things very well, as long as she decided to do it. And I think that's also part of maybe why she made the decision when she did. I think you do, in order to, enjoy those two things specifically, you have to be a thousand percent invested. And I think the moment you decide to, you're not, maybe your heart's not as in it, you know, the the same thing potentially happened to Hennon in 2008. You know, once you started to take your foot off the gas, just a little bit, she started taking those losses in Australia in uh, I think Indian Wells, Miami. And then it was just suddenly not, the love was no longer there because then it was, you weren't in it 100%. 100%. That is something that Henin actually told me when she got inducted into the Hall of Fame to make this a full, full circle conversation. She felt that players of a certain stature like her could do everything that a taller player could do, but in a shorter period of time, that the career is inherently shorter because you margin don't have those physical less for,
1: Yeah, exactly. You just have less of the margin for error. It's a little harder to win points freely, right? Like that Rabacchina serve is going to be there forever. That Sabalenka serve, just kidding. Um, Yeah, but no, I, I completely see that point. I'm hoping in, you know, God willing, this pandemic slows down and slowly we return to normalcy and all these different things. Instead of calling it the COVID era, let's just call it the Barty era. Like this three year run was the three year Barty run. And I do think and, you know, again, during the heart of that 2020 summer when there was no tennis going on, I went back and looked at some of the best three-year runs, some of the best five-year runs in tennis history. That's why I'm so angry. I missed on the Hengist comparison. Barty's not in the tier. She's not in the Graf tier. She's not in the Serena tier, you know, that Navratilova tier, that elite of the elite. But if you stack her best three years, honestly the problem is it's really a two-year run like you have 2019 2021 and then the start of 2022 it's not the biggest sample size but if you stack in and i mentioned it 121 and 24 right or whatever it is since the start of 2019 that two-year run will hold up pretty well against just about anyone like it's not tier one all-timer you're at the top of the hall of fame pyramid but like you know what Jeff Sackman, you're doing the tennis 128. I am fascinated to see, A, if Ashley Barty ends up in the top 128 players of all time, and B, how high he'll have her go, because it was a really efficient prime for Ashley Barty.
2: This is the COVID era. If you ask yeah. me in 10 years what I'll remember about this time, it'll be the fact that I wasn't able to go outside for large swaths of it. So, no, it's, it's it's definitively the COVID era. I mean, I think even Ash Barty, I think, would define this as the COVID era. I mean, so much of her time was spent not on tour because of COVID. So I think, you know, yeah. listen, again, maxed out her potential a thousand percent. And I think that there that can only be lauded. And I think it goes to show it, anybody who really puts that hard work and really you know has that natural Yeah, anyone with a little bit of natural talent, you put that, you put that to hard work and you have a good team around you and you're, you're in that good headspace, you know, you could take advantage and anything can happen to you. So I think that goes to show that that goes for everybody on tour right now. I think Ash party is such a, an example and inspiration that, you know, the sky is really the limit because I think when you looked at Ash party, you know, in 2014, you know, bombing out in qualies, you know, you know, as like a seemingly a washed up junior. You know, I think I think she would even describe herself at that as that like that at the time. It was who could have imagined that she would come back, you know, the fully formed person that she that she is today and the one who's making the, you know, the calm, confident, mature decision to step away because she feels that, you know, she wants to do something else. And that there's nothing it can't falter for that.
1: Yeah. And again, you can see her full explanation uh, on her Instagram video. It's like a six and a half on Instagram. It's a six and a half minute video. She tries to get into every detail. I would highly recommend it to all of you who tuned into our live show here. Now, final topic for you, and then I'll let you go. As we look at this, I mean, obviously nothing changes in Miami because Ashley Barty was never in the draw, but as we look towards the clay court season and on Monday, so less than literally less than, 36 hours or 48 hours ago, David, we had this conversation of, you know, feels like we finally have sort of a pecking order formally forming. Barty, you're clear cut number one. Shviantek, you're clear cut number two. And then after that, it's the rat race to try and figure out, you know, on any given week, there's three to 45 players who can be in the running for a tournament title. Well, we just lost our number one. And you know, she wasn't at every event. So we've been in this WTA parody era, of course, for the past couple of seasons. Sfiantech, the door opens that much more for her, certainly to take the tour by the reins you know, take the reins of the tour. At the same time, this retirement prolongs that parody, right? For like at least another season. you, you felt like we finally maybe had a sign of calmness and stability emerging. Now it's like, again, is Osaka still your favorite on hard courts? Well, Barty's not in it, so tell me why it shouldn't be her. Or like, is it Shvantec now? Or is it Contebay or Sakari or the Notorious PBG? Or just, you know, any of the players peaking at the right time? Where I think that's that's what this does. Is I think it extends that era of parity.
2: I mean, as someone who has never necessarily enjoyed Um, times in tennis where there is one person significantly ahead of the pack. I think it does kind of refocus the narrative where now for better or for worse, it's kind of an even playing field right now. I mean, whether that's for good or for bad, because I've I've been kind of critical about sort of the top 10 being the sort of, you know, amorphous mush. Um, But at the same time, it's, it's weird also because Barty played so infrequently that it's like, it's not like, you can't be like, oh, we just saw her last week. You know, it's going to be crazy. I mean, like the fact that the world number one and world number two, as of last week, were not in Indian Wells and it was a very normal tournament. Like I think if Serena had been number one at the time and missed Indian Wells, you would feel her absence and you'd be like, well, you know, the draw shook out the way it did in part because Serena was not there. I don't know if you can look at the IGA Maria final and think, wow, if Barty was there for sure, things would be different. I mean, I think it would have been, somewhat the same, maybe Barty would have been in the final. Maybe she wouldn't have, but I don't think you can say definitively based on the way Iga played and certainly the way Maria played in the semifinals that that was a sure bet that Barty would have um, dominated the the field in Indian Wells had she been there. So I think, you know, this is not not that there's ever a good time for a world number one to retire, but at least it's happening on the, the heels of Iga, Maria, Paula, Annette, Simona, all kind of posting Impressive results that make you feel like these are players who can really put together and they're all solid clay court players. So it's like if they, you know, it's not like they're about to head in, you know, head off a cliff because they're, they're, they're hardcore specialists And you know, well, there's still a lot of intrigue with whether Naomi can get back, whether Bianca, whether... Sophia Kennan, who I think just withdrew from Miami, what, you know, what will happen with her? I mean, I was just talking to Phil this morning that, you know, when you looked at the end of 2019, early 2020, you had Barty, Kennan, Andreescu, Osaka. This should have been this top four all competing for slams. And I said, three of the four were not even competing right now. Now it's all four of them are like kind of falling off a cliff. But I think with that said, I think, you know, it's at least we're coming off of a really strong Indian Wells and I'm for, I, for one, I'm kind of excited to see how the, the tour shakes out. It'll be interesting to see how Iga really has to shift mindsets from yeah. being someone who was chasing number one to just suddenly being number one. If that's even what happens, Barty has the option to remove her name from the rankings or not. I don't think we got confirmation of whether that will happen immediately. That could be a few more weeks on uh, on Barty's weeks at number one total that you can reference in a couple of years when you're running the numbers. But um, yeah, I think it's 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 wild news. I'm happy for Ash. And I think I'm, I'm I'm excited to see how the tour moves on uh, or so, how the tour continues to take shape.
1: Yeah, a couple of things off of that. Whenever you start out a sentence with, I don't like, I laughed because I was like, oh, I want to know where this is going next. <laughs> I'm very excited for that. Um, uh, the other element I would add is, A lot of these players, particularly the young ones, like Iga's played fewer, I believe, than 10 matches in her career on grass courts. And as you just go up and down the list, right, like golf has as many matches under her belt, it feels like as anyone out there. And like we don't really know what Fernandez looks like on grass. We saw Raducanu a bit last year, but we don't really know Clara Tawson, what she's going to look like on the Wimbledon grass courts. Even the top fl- like flight players like the Sakkari's, the PBGs, who've barely played any grass court matches, and Conteves of the world, Sabalenka's of the world. Like, can you make a case Sabalenka's the favorite now, or Pliskova's the favorite now to win Wimbledon? Like, Ashley Barty, more than anything else, was going to be your unequivocal favorite at Wimbledon for the next half decade, at least. And now I don't. I have like. You'll have to talk me out of picking against Ostapenko if she's playing this well at Wimbledon or like something or like a Benchich title at Wimbledon as well. Or like just something weird. Samsonova just goes on like a second week tear or makes the quarterfinals or something. I know nothing. Like I think I'm, I think this would apply to the men's side, too, just because outside of Djokovic, Nadal, like what is Zverev or Medvedev or Tsitsipas or any of these guys on grass courts? I think the pandemic has impacted our perception of grass court tennis, perhaps more than anything else, because that was the season most impacted. They canceled Wimbledon. I have no idea what's going to unfold during the month of grass court tennis on the WTA tour.
2: I mean, i am it's interesting because I've never been one to think about Wimbledon before Wimbledon, <laughs> really. I think sure. I, I really do look at the grass court swing and who's been playing well. It's based an aberration. On it's like a one month sprint. It's, it's like probably the most impossible slam for me personally to yeah. predict. That's why Barty would be an easy pick in March to be like, who do you think is going to win Wimbledon? Well, like it's Barty or it's yeah. Satana Parankova if she comes back. I mean, like, <laughs> but I, is that the best part of the Barty retirement news? Is that now I can start picking Ostapenko to win every week and be yeah. so, not completely unreasonable? I'll take it.
1: If that's the spin zone, it's not, an, it's not an unreasonable spin. Again, it's we're in the flip a coin era or pick a name out of a hat era. I Rolling suppose. the dice.
2: <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. I like the aim in the hat better because you can put all the 64 names or whatever, 128 names in the main draw of a grand slam. And yeah, maybe you can filter out a few of them. Like I love you, Teresa Martin, Sova. I think the window's probably closed on her winning a grand slam, but like, is she out of the
2: goat race officially it's
1: been closed great tattoos big fan of those uh but yeah out of the goat race just for now Uh, greatest of all time to consistently play in leggings like maybe i don't know it depends how specific you want to get with your goats um yeah i just like i have no idea i have no i i that's to me, from a tennis aspect, because I think the clay court season, to your point, was already open, and I think on the right week, there's still going to be some people who could beat Barty on a hard court, particularly that late in the year in New York. Australia is a different monster. Wimbledon is the one where I just would have picked Barty and slept easy
2: at night. Now I, I no clue. Yeah, I mean I don't. I- Wimbledon with a bullet. I don't know yeah. necessarily if Australia would be the one I would. I, Australia and US would felt like a bit of a toss up for me because of all sure. the sort of seemingly, you know, but the Barbie mental German
1: She was 1A heading into those events, right? And it's like maybe you've got yes. 1B, but in one Yeah, she, she was the, was the number
2: 1A. one favorite to win yeah. this year's Australian Open for sure. And then, you know, the draw happened, you know, and it yeah. obviously helped her, you know, over the finish. I don't know if she'll get four straight Americans again to win another sign. Maybe that was in the decision making process as well. But certainly, yeah, Wimbledon. Yeah. Number one. And then obviously, you know, as a former French Open champion, you can't rule her out of that, but that would have been, that's the one thing I kind of feel a bit robbed of is it would have been interesting to see this sort of encroaching, if not completely, you know, evenly playing field uh, situation, kind of, we were looking for that Bardi-Spiontek match. That's what we were previewing, you know, on Monday. I think we were looking to see whether that could happen in Madrid or Rome and how that would tee up um, the potential Roland Garros uh, face-off. But I do like the fact that you were hyping names in a hat and did not take the opportunity to uh, to sell your merch. I feel like that was oh, sort of a missed opportunity for all these never, for our live studio audience right
1: here. Well, first of all, I would never take off my hat in front of a live audience, not ever. <laughs> uh, but uh, B, last question for you, and then I'm letting you go because we are going to finish before midnight. And under an hour, by the way, this is a personal record for us, shout out. Um, it, it's not going to happen. There are no reports of it happening. It's not going to happen immediately. Okay. But 2022 rolls around. Ashley Barty says, I would like to get back in the tennis world, not as a player, but as a coach. You mean 2023? 2020. Is it 2022?
2: Right now it's 2022. So I'm guessing you mean next year is 2023.
1: It's 2023. Thank you. And she's like, I'd like to get back in the game as a coach, not as a player, as a coach. You get to pick one player for her to coach. Who do you want it to be?
2: Who do I wanted. I mean, first of all, you'd have to imagine a scenario where she's like—I don't know if you ever watched Ned's Declassified yes! School Survival Guide, but she'd have to be like that Results robot teacher, vary. where like she's sort of just rolling around and like you yeah. kind of just see your face in the stands on a screen. Who would I want to coach her? I mean, sentimentally, I guess I would say Daria Seville right now. I feel like that would be a cool <laughs> pairing. You know, they were always—I think they're sort of like similar. Uh, spiritual sisters. I think that would be interesting. Who would I want? I mean, I would love for her to teach Arena Sabalenka how to serve. I mean, that would be pretty cool if she can, you know, if Mark has brought her halfway there, I think maybe Ash Barty could take her over the finish line and, you know, kind of really just get that snap and give her a good kick on the second serve. So she doesn't feel so out of ideas when the first serve doesn't go in. Uh, I mean, she's such a specific um, temperament that I don't know I can almost see her coaching an ATP player before I could see her coaching a WTA player. I won't do the accent, but I could imagine her being like, I don't know if I can deal with the sort of the theatrics of a W. I mean, I think she's, she's getting out of the WTA tour for a reason. So I don't know if she wants to necessarily get back into the, into the thick of things. If I could pick an ATP player. Hmm. I don't know. I would love to see her work with Steph Sisyphus for the lols, but I don't know if I can really genuinely pick anybody. That's (laughs) a really
1: good one for the backhand slice return, if nothing else. And, that's actually a great choice. Yeah, it could be men's or women's player. I don't think I specified. I, would I very much like that. Damn. I don't know if he, I don't this.
2: know if she could deal with his BS, but I think. Yeah.
1: <laughs> first of all, what if she goes? The hair's got to go. She's like, this just isn't going to work. I need a head shape cut, head crew shade. cut. I need you. Yeah, I need you locked in, Stefanos.
2: More inspirational quotes. I feel like she would hate those. I think <laughs> I think Ned Bigby
1: and Jennifer Mosley might have been the first couple. I like was really, I was like, you two need to get together. Ace. They're your
2: OTP. Yeah, I mean, that's like,
1: that's because what, it was 04-ish, 05, 06, oh. like 9 to 11. That's like onset of puberty. Yeah, like it's like, let's get going. We were like, the target girl. age group for that show. Yeah, that's, I'm like, you're talking my language now. I was like, Amanda show was a little bit before my time, but once it spun off to Drake and Josh, now we're, t- you know. All right. Now we're talking. And I always tell college players now when I'm joking around with them. I So here's the difference between you and me. I watched Drake and Josh. You watched iCarly. Like that's the fundamental difference right now. That's it. It's only one generation gap. It's not too crazy. We don't have to bring Victorious into the mix yet. Um, if you're
2: cool enough, you watch both Drake and Josh yeah. and iCarly. <laughs> maybe you more. listen to the iCarly theme song while you're doing the dishes sometimes. I don't know. Maybe <laughs> not me, but somebody, somebody. I podcast. would point <laughs> out,
1: I had a little brother too. So I got like the peak end of it. And I I mean, look, swipe or no swiping, oh man. But this is how you know we're hitting towards midnight here. And so,
2: yeah. I mean, Any you can't bring thoughts? up, well, first of all, you can't bring up Dora the Explorer without me telling this live studio audience that I did get a call back to be Boots. When I was eight years old, I auditioned for the role. I didn't get it. it probably because I corrected the casting director when she got her lines wrong. No regrets but it almost happened but anyway <laughs> that's, any final thoughts from you <laughs> so hangus so i got to study this uh
1: martina hangus ashley barty comparison i need to find tape of that because i could see dora we got oh oh boots get out of here boots or you like know, like, <laughs> like this backpack was like i feel like boots was like dora sh- again if we weren't live shut the f up dora um uh, it's like i'm sick of your nonsense i'm done with this boots out um yeah, it's like, why are we going to the tree? You know the tree. You just said on the map that the tree has the, like, you know, the whatever. Anyways, we won't litigate um, that.
2: But anytime you people watch any of those clips or see a gift, just imagine my voice coming yeah except, Think of what, could
1: what have been. If you want to pivot to a week of, like, Ned's Declassified or Drake and Josh gifts as opposed to Real Housewives, I think listeners of this live show would appreciate that. I think they'd be I, like, we get it.
2: I did. If you missed, I, I did like the Indian Wells to Miami transition, a clip from Mike Harley where she gets like zapped in the face with that, like my bright camera lens. Like it's it's a, it's been an aggressive turnaround, Indian Wells to Miami. And it's only gotten crazier with the announcement you know, that our oh, world number one is retiring.
1: Would you say Ben Rothenberg is the Megan of the tennis Twitter universe? <laughs>
2: Aren't we all Megan? Oh, excuse me. Coll- yeah. Aren't We all Megan collectively watching his tweets, like with yeah, the can of soda going interesting. Thinking, <laughs> yeah, that's,
1: that's good. I'm trying to think, I forget what Josh's girlfriend's name. Mindy, Mindy, Mindy. <laughs> I don't know. There's a, there's a fun lane for Mindy as well that I think would be a fun competition. Again, we'll save this for the full form pod, not an emergency to do those comparisons. Ashley Barty retires. Any final thoughts? Oh, Keith asked, "Which would which, which Dora character would Ashley Barty be?" See, this is what we've inspired. I mean, she's the map. She's the map. I was she's gonna say, map. I think she's the map. She's the map. map. She's like, the she, map.
2: Had, she had a plan. She executed it, and she followed it, and now she's done. I think Another she, it, she gotta found that she got to He's
1: the one who needs to know. He's the map. He's the map. He's the map. Yeah, um, that's a good one. I would agree with you. Who's Dora? I mean, what? How many WTA players would lay claim to being Dora?
0: Hmm. aka
1: main character energy and wow. like immediately is dora like come on
2: i was gonna say kostyuk incidentally so yeah like, we're, we're, we we really we touched down on that friend group almost immediately whether it's under yeah. andrescu Podopova, marta kostyuk they got their backpack and us, on and they are ready to get yeah, out of here that's us
1: landing the plane of this emergency podcast perfectly well with all that said david are you gonna be writing about this for tennis.com who got the assignment
2: we got a flash news up on yeah. on tennis dot com. I'm sure Steve Tigner and or uh, Joel Drucker have some phenomenal takes that I look forward to reading over the next couple of days. So you can stay tuned for that.
1: Yeah. Awesome. Well, we look forward to that. What about you? What's your Miami coverage? I know we talked about this, but I always want to hear what's up.
2: I'm hoping to do some live blogs. I think if we can get an Osaka Kerber second round, I think I'll probably be live blogging that. I just want to get, I want to be in the present (laughs) after, after, after doing so much reflection and looking back, I want to just kind of be in the moment for the next couple of weeks before we turn to Clay. So I think I'll be, I'll be doing some of that if I can help it.
1: Yeah. Well, again, we look forward to those live blogs. I'm sure I will have you back on the podcast in the next week as well as who knows? Maybe we get our next retirement. Uh, okay. Who's uh no? I was gonna say who's the next big star to retire. But yeah, me. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so Ashley Bart is younger than I am. Like that doesn't feel good. She it's time for me to what? pull
2: it's time for one of us to pull
1: focus on this yeah, that's and, and announce it's
2: our retirement. Is this an
1: excuse? Do we get to do it? West off, put up the graphic. Tennis podcaster Alex Gruskin announces his retirement after 15,000 episodes. Um, no it, We still got, we're not even in it. We're just scratching the surface. We're not hanging it. We're we're Serena. There's 1.0, 2.0, 3.0, 4.0. We still got some time to go, David.
2: We're Gael Monfils. We're going to be here for another 15 years entertaining you every step of the way.
1: I'm Roger Federer. I don't have a knee. It's gone. I'm just holding on for dear life at this point. I know. With all that said, again. You can read all of his work, tennis.com, you can find him on tennis Twitter. If you're watching this, we appreciate all of you who tuned in live. And again, to those of you who may have missed portions of this jumped in late, you'll be able to hear the full pod on our mini break podcast feed. Maybe tonight, although super producer Daniel Westoff has certainly earned some sleep. So if you'll cut him some slack, he'll probably end up doing that tomorrow morning, by the way you want to hear some final thoughts on Indian Wells, some thoughts on Miami from anyone on this stream. You can hear from both of us as David joined me on Monday to recap all things Indian Wells uh, on the women's side to talk about looking forward towards Miami. All those takes still hold up despite Ashley Barty retiring. So again, that podcast you can find on our website, crackdreckets.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Shout out to super producer, Daniel Westhoff, as always, heck of a job to do. Uh, and again, had this set up ready to go. I was like, can we go live? And he goes, can I get 12 minutes? And I go, you can have 15 if you need. And he goes, no, give me 12. And I was like, all right, that's, that's more than enough. So a huge thank you to him. And yeah, again, a huge thank you to you, David. I saw that felt like a D de- or a what's it called when you, uh, it was a passive aggressive, but you're like trying to, what's that called on Twitter when you're like trying to send a message.
2: It was, it was a Batman light in the sky. It was for, it yeah. was for one of my, it was for one of my, one of my three caballeros to, to okay. take me up on the offer.
1: I'm glad you brought that up. My first couple I actually was all in on is Superman and Lois Lane. And it's like, duh, that was number one for me. Bruce and Selena were close. Bruce and Talia Al Ghul, the real one will know, daughter of Raz Al Ghul. That's like for the cartoon slappies like myself. That was another little, you know, she calls him her beloved. Uh, that was always funny to me. Um, we're not going to do that here now, though. Uh, we will save all of that for the Batman podcast. So with that said, four. Our fantastic co-host here tonight, David Kane, our super producer, Daniel Westhoff, our friends at Tennis Point, whose support allows us to do things like these emergency podcasts, tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. And from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Druskin. David, what do we tell our listeners?
2: And that's the party.
1: (laughs) I'll allow it. And we will see you all tomorrow. Thank you, as always, David.
2: Thank you.